Our theme for today is living in the unity of love and peace and delves into how we are called to reflect in our life together as Christians the unity of love and peace that exists between the three persons of the Trinity. Our Bible reading for this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Therefore, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts this morning by your Holy Spirit that we might be encouraged in our faith and life in Jesus, that we might worship you as the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and find life in your name. In Jesus' own precious name we pray this, Father, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, today is Trinity Sunday, if you hadn't worked that out yet. Today is Trinity Sunday, and because it occurs one week after Pentecost, which is one of the high festivals of the church year, Trinity Sunday suffers from the same problem as the Sunday after Christmas. It's where all the excitement and the enthusiasm of the week before seems to overshadow its poor relation in the following week. Trinity Sunday also suffers from the perception that a sermon about the Trinity, which you're going to hear about today, uh, is somewhat boring doctrine stuff with little practical application for our lives as Christians. Well, I'm here today to tell you that that is simply not true. The doctrine of the Trinity has at least three very important practical applications for our lives as Christians. Now, I know that the uh, average parish pastor avoids preaching on the Trinity uh, because it's quite challenging to communicate what it's all about. And so they figure that it's best left up to a seminary professor to explain. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure if that's true, but you do have a seminary professor here today with you to walk you through it. So let's see how it goes. Today's secular world, people have all sorts of ideas about who God is and what He's like. 
God is usually talked about in quite generic terms and people tend to fill in the gaps about God according to their own preferences. So it's a case of following a, a DIY religion, believing in a God of your own making and preference. Now, into precisely that context, our confession of God as the triune God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, clearly identifies which God we worship and believe in as Christians. It's not enough to speak about God in generic terms. Rather, we believe in the Christian God, the God who has revealed himself to us in the Old Testament as the covenant God named Yahweh, who reached out and rescued his people in the Exodus, who gave them his law on Mount Sinai and then faithfully guided them and cared for them down through the generations until the promised Messiah Jesus came to bring salvation not just to Israel but to the whole world. To us guys. This God of the Old Testament has now clearly revealed himself in the New Testament through his son Jesus. And specifically through raising him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul tells us in Romans 1. And did that register? God the Father revealed himself by raising his son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So who was God then? Well, the answer given by scriptures and by the confession of the church down through the ages is that God is the triune God, the one who has revealed himself to be the Father through the saving work of his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the God we confess. That's the God we trust in. That's the God that we worship. Admittedly, none of this adequately explains the full mystery of God's inner life, his divine being. After all, that's beyond our understanding as mere mortals. But it does clearly identify who is it that we believe in and worship as Christians. It says who God is. And it says who we are, who we are. We are the people who believe in this God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can't fully explain all the ins and outs of that, but what we can do is confess it and praise his name. 
The second practical application of the doctrine of the Trinity is the way that it acts as a summary of the gospel message. Our confession of the Trinity actually tells the story about our loving God and what he has done to save us. It's as basic as John 3.16, which I'm sure many of you know off by heart, which says, God, meaning God the Father, so loved the world, that is, that God so loved you and me, that he sent his own, one and only son, Jesus. And whoever believes in him, which elsewhere in scripture we're told no one can do without the help of the Holy Spirit, whoever believes in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour will not perish but have eternal life. What I'm suggesting to you, friends, is that the core gospel message is fundamentally Trinitarian. It's grounded in the confession of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what he's done to save us. Now, I've developed uh, this uh, image of the Trinity that you see up on the screen uh, to help my students at AOC to better understand their Trinitarian theology. It's in the shape of the infinity symbol, you know, that thing. Not to be confused with the ABC, that has a second little. And it illustrates the infinite love of God. The infinite love of the triune God that has brought about our salvation and brought peace between God and our sinful world. Between God and us. It summarises, friends, the wonderful, life-giving message that we have to share with the world. And you can't get any more practical than that. Let's run it through. God the Father has begotten the Son. Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father. The Son comes from the Father. And the Father is identified as being the Father of the Son and the Son is the Son of the Father. The Father in love begets the Son and the Father in love sends the Son into the world and the Son in love sacrifices himself for you and me. And this same Heavenly Father who loves us so much that he sent his Son also then sends through the Son the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Son breathes the Holy Spirit over his disciples. So you get a movement in love from the Father through the Son to the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit... Well, what's his work? He renews us, creates faith in us, unites us to Jesus. And in turn, Jesus reconciles and restores us to God the Father. So in love, God the Father has reached out to us through the Son and the Holy Spirit and brought peace 
and into our lives, peace between him and us, peace within ourselves, peace within Christian community, through the work of the Holy Spirit who unites us to the Son, who reconciles us and brings us home to the Father. And so you see the infinity symbol. This is a symbol of God's infinite love for the world, God's infinite love for you and me, and the peace that he brings us. So God's love in one action of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bring peace to you and me as we're restored to the Heavenly Father. Living in the unity of love and peace. And how we experience love and peace. And so that illustration of the Trinity not only tells us who God is, but tells us how God has saved us and tells us who we are because we enter into that story. I call this a narrative model of the Trinity because it tells the story of who God is, what he's done, and how we are drawn into the life of God through faith in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 tells us explicitly God is love. Now, no, not merely that God is loving, well, he is that, of course, gloriously so, but much more than that, we confess that love lies at the very heart of God, of who he is. Defines merely not just what he does, but his own identity. And so this infinity model, infinity illustration of the Trinity tells us both who the triune God is, the God of infinite love, as well as what the triune God has done to save us. It's the story of God the Father's saving love in Jesus who's brought peace reconciliation, all of which is made available to us through the Holy Spirit. The point being that the Trinity reminds us of God's true identity and summarises for us the story of salvation. Friends, this is Christianity 101. This is not some esoteric doctrine that's reserved for the ivory towers of academia. It's at the very heartbeat of Christianity. It's the focus of our worship and our lives as God's people. By the way, for those of you who, since we're talking about the Trinity and worship, for those of you who are involved in choosing songs for worship and preparing the worship orders that we use here at Good Shepherd, if the Trinity is the summary of the gospel, which it is, then if we want our worship to be truly gospel-centred, 
then it ought to have a clear Trinitarian flavour. Not just on Trinity Sunday, but for every Sunday of the year. Now, I'll leave that for you who are involved in leadership to contemplate about that as something practical to follow up on when you select your songs and when you choose what wording you're going to use in the liturgy. Now, the third practical application of the doctrine of the Trinity is brought out in the Bible reading we heard before from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. And that passage, as well as the doctrine of the Trinity itself, calls us as God's people to reflect in our lives together and the relationships we have with one another, to reflect in our relationships God's divine life of love and peace. As people who have experienced the God who in love has sent his Son and sent the Holy Spirit to bring peace between us and himself. So we know that story, so we enter into that story, then that should shape who we are. So as the body of the Christ, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live by the love of Jesus. And thankfully, for Jesus' sake, we're also forgiven when we don't live by the love of Jesus, even though we ought to. But the truth is we are empowered friends by the Spirit to live in the unity of love and peace that we learn from Jesus, all to the glory of God the Father. And so our Christian life together is Trinitarian. To put it another way, the mark of healthy Christian community and the springboard for effective mission and witness in the world is when we show the same love and acceptance, the same compassion and patience, the same kindness and willingness to forgive each other that Jesus has first shown us. You probably are quite familiar with the words of Jesus in John 13, 34, when he says, A new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And friends, that's true, that's the case. Irrespective of whether you have a pastor or whether you're in a time of vacancy. That's our calling together as God's people. And when our relationships with each other reflect the same love and peace that characterise the relationships between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit within the Trinity, when that happens, the world can't help but notice. A family and friends can't help but notice. Because that's when... We not only confess the Trinity by what we say, 
but we begin to confess the Trinity by the way we live by his love and the peace of Jesus. May God in his mercy grant that to every last one of us. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.